Well, hello everyone and welcome to Romance at a Glance. I'm your host, Bridget, and with me as always is my host, Shoni. How are you? I am so good, Bridget. I'm ready to do nothing for Thanksgiving. I'm ready to relax with my mimosa and chill. How you doing? I'm doing stupendously. I am doing many things. I'm painting. If you guys follow us on Romance at a Glance, you know that I'm painting the room that will become Shawnee and I's new office at my house. And I'm landscaping my yard. I'm taking care of my children. I am not having the relaxing weekend you are, but I'm happy for you. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, Bridget, we just got in a really awesome review. You're right. On the up and up, thank you so much for your review. Here's what it said. The podcast I have always been looking for, exclamation point. I know there had to be a great podcast out there about romance novels, and I am so glad to have finally found it. Exclamation point. I love exclamation points. The hosts are witty and intelligent. Love hearing them cackle over this awesome, ridiculous genre. Well, why thank you on the up and up. We appreciate you and the fact that you know us. You get us. We are witty. We are intelligent. And we do love to cackle. (laughs) Yes, we do. (laughs) We nasty. Guys, if you would like to leave the show a review, head down into the phone app or website of your choice and you can see a link that says leave us a review click it leave us a review it really helps the show really helps us out moves us up those charts and gets us two more listeners yes and we may read your review on the podcast because we like doing that yeah heck yeah we'll read your review and if you drop us some book recommendations we will definitely take those into consideration oh yeah for sure. We are going to be talking to Talia Hibbert this episode, and it was delightful. Guys, she's a goddamn treasure. This is Authors at a Glance has been such a bomb diggity adventure for us. We originally were never planning to interview authors, and in May we were like, you know what, let's start doing it. Let's just see how it goes. And it has been so, 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 so cool. Everyone is so different, but so kind and so generous with her time. And we learned so much about her and her books and how she likes to write and about all of her fun stuff that she has coming up. And we got to talk about the Brown Sisters and we got to talk about work for it and all the diverse pairings. I loved her. I loved her a lot. I really love that she included content warnings on uh, her books. Mm -hmm. That was a big thing. Yes. Yes, definitely. And also... I would like to say that I did pick her because she's British and it's Thanksgiving week and I did not want to put any of our American authors in Thanksgiving week because they have, well, maybe smaller Thanksgivings than normal this year because of COVID, but it's still Thanksgiving. So hello, Talia Hibbert, our beautiful British author. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you for being here. Guys, without further ado, let's get this shit popping. Let's get it popping, Bridge. Romance at a glance. Uh Uh-huh. Romance at a glance. What'd you say Romance. At a glance. Go ahead, girl. Thank you for being here. It's so exciting to meet you. We've obviously read your books and super excited to to get into them. Thanks for having me on here. It's very exciting to chat. I started out this summer reading um, Get a Life, Chloe Brown, Take Hand Danny Brown. Huge fan. They were amazing. I love them. And so, To preface this, I crafted our season that's coming up as our holiday mashup. So each holiday, I picked a couple books that would sort of correlate with like Halloween time sort of feel, some Thanksgiving, down-home boys, country boys sort of feel, and then some Christmas books. And I originally wanted to do Mating Huntress, um, Uh but Shawnee (laughs) only does audiobooks. She doesn't do 
and it's not on audio. Yeah. So then I was like, had it all planned out and I was like, okay, I got to rearrange. <laughs> so then I was looking through your back catalog and we chose work for it. Cause I was like, a farmer, a city boy, <laughs> it's love. And I was like, I'm into it. So we, that is the book we settled on. And I'm just so excited because you write such like rich characters and fun. And like, even though everyone has a lot of different backgrounds, every like they, you treat them with such respect as they get to know each other and go through those like little communication, like hiccups without <laughs> them without like it always having to be a big blow up every time. And mm-hmm. I really appreciated that because not, to, I'm not going to like spoil any of the books, obviously, but it's always sad when you're like 85% of the way through a book and you're like, Oh, they're going to have a huge fight. That's going to get resolved <laughs> in three more pages. <laughs> and I like that, the, that they feel like appropriately sized and not, something that you like really are like, they probably couldn't come back from that. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's good. Thanks. (laughs) So Shawnee and I were talking right before this because Shawnee has long suspected that she might be on the spectrum, but was never tested, never, you know, Shawnee can get into it more, but I'm wondering, were you tested as a child to figure that out? Did you come to that realization later? Cause she didn't know what was going on and it still hasn't, you know, made an appointment yet, but uh, I, I was diagnosed as a child, but it was a bit weird because my mum is actually a behavioral expert. She works in SEN. Um, and essentially when she started training as a teacher and she was naturally interested in that because she as an adult has been diagnosed with ADHD. So she was interested in that sort of thing. And as she was learning, she realized that I was super autistic. So (laughs) she kind of started trying to do things to help me from that point. Um, But I don't think it was until later on that I got a diagnosis officially. Um, I was still a child, but there was a point where I wasn't diagnosed, but my mum had decided that I was autistic. (laughs) I had... um... My mom is like kind of the opposite in terms of she kind of doesn't believe any of this kind of stuff exists. She doesn't believe in ADHD. She thinks it's all, um, you know, everything is diet and vitamin based and that sort of thing. So um, I very viscerally remember coming home from school and being like, mom, I'm having this problem in class. These things are happening. I don't know what's going on, like, or whatever. And she'd be like, okay, you're going to go to bed earlier and we're going to start you on some echinacea. (laughs) And so after a while, I just stopped saying anything. I just, you know, and, and when I look back at all the ways I kind of coped getting through school, mm-hmm. there are all these weird, tricky things <laughs> that I would do. Um, and as an adult, I'm a part of actually a discord group where, um, which is a lot of women um, who suspect that they're autistic are in there kind of sharing their experiences over time. Um, and I was planning before COVID actually to go in and like uh, see a therapist and, you know, and like attack this. And then obviously COVID hit. And so it's, everything's got uh, been pushed back. But um, as I was reading more and more about you, I was like, I was like, there's a lot that sounds very similar. <laughs> <laughs> so well, that was really I mean, I'm glad that you're like 
that you've made this decision to investigate and kind of make things easier for yourself. Cause yeah, like you, when you're different from not just everyone around you, but from the way the system is set up for you to be, you do have to figure out all these weird coping mechanisms and like you get by, but then you might discover, like, I know it's happened to me. I've had my own little mechanism and then I discover something else and I'm like, Oh, that that makes way more sense. I should have been doing that. (laughs) So I hope it helps. (laughs) I do. I I definitely uh, hope, hope it helps. There's a, there is a girl here. I forget her uh, name. Studio Muji is her Instagram. Um, but she later on discovered that she was autistic and that she was encountering something called autistic burnout. And she mm. was describing it. And I was like, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. <laughs> that, that, that crash that, you know, that happens. Um, and, um, and so it's, it's definitely been a very interesting like trajectory over the time. And Bridget um, has been along for this uh, ride in general, Bridget's whole family, just as like a side note, has been like, uh, we were reading about uh, how long it took you to get your diagnosis um, for fibromyalgia and how you weren't believed. And so in the last year and a half, Bridget has followed me on a medical journey where the doctors um, don't know what I have and will not help me to find a diagnosis and have been extremely brutal in the process. And Bridget's mom had to come with me to my doctor visits just so that they would like actually treat me fairly. Like, so it's been, yeah. it's so I definitely understand you <laughs> when you're like, it, nobody's listening. I'm like, I'm like, I, I hear you. I hear you. I'm listening. I hear you. Um, but so it was really cool um, to, uh, to one, hear about your books because Bridget Bridget actually told me, she's like, Sean, you gotta read, you gotta read these books. You gotta read them. <laughs> um, so I am right now I'm reading, obviously work for it, but uh uh Get a Life Chloe Brown is on my to do uh my next book to read in my my leisure book, you know. Uh, because we read so many books with a podcast, but I honestly find that I don't have time for leisure reading. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, so that's my next book. So I'm, I'm excited for it. Yay. For sure. well, I hope you like it. <laughs> Yeah. How did you, so obviously like fibromyalgia is part of your story and, and autism as well, but how, how do you like, you know, do the characters come to you and you're like, Ooh, like, I know who that is. I know what that experience is. Or do you sort of come to it slowly and add in things as you go along and, and interweave, interweave those difference differences and diversities and backgrounds and, you know, queer characters Mm -hmm. and non-queer characters. It definitely happens in both ways, kind of. You know, some characters come to me, like, fully formed. Um, like, for example, Chloe's character came to me exactly as it, as she ends up in the final book. But then the other characters are kind of built around her. And, you know, some parts of them would be, like, set from the beginning, but then other parts I'd be like, what would go well with her? So, for example, her sister's personalities were very much built to fit the fact that she was like an archetypal oldest child. So I was like, okay, we need a textbook middle. We need a textbook youngest like that. <laughs> yeah. I'm super excited about Eve Brown. I got uh, approved <laughs> for the ARC and I'm thrilled Yay. to get into it. Uh, how do you, how do you stage the series? So like, are you, cause you've written a couple different series. Some of them were self-published obviously before this in your backlist. And then this is your first traditional published one. Do you, kind of plot the whole series out or do you just kind of know hey the next book will be about Danny 
And that's kind of like where you start from. Yeah, it's pretty much that last one. (laughs) It should be. I'm actually just before we started recording, I was plotting a new series and I wrote like notes for book one and then book two was like a sentence and I was like, that'll do. (laughs) We'll figure it out when we get there. Yeah. Yeah, there's plenty of space to figure it out. <laughs> We've talked to a bunch of authors now and we find that the I think the most encouraging thing for any aspiring writer to listen to is there's no one way to do it. However yeah. you do it, however you get your book out is the way that makes yeah. sense for you. And that is the book you should write the way you should write. 100%, yeah. Okay, so uh, <laughs> so we read that... Uh, Nalita Singh Sai series is one of your favorite series. Yes. And so I would, I'm just curious, okay? Because you are an author, okay? You are, mm-hmm. you are an author. You out Allegedly. there. Allegedly. <laughs> mm-hmm. And Nalini Singh is an author. Nalini Singh is your peer now, okay? I wouldn't, I wouldn't say that. <laughs> I would not say that. I'm saying it. I'm saying it. <laughs> how does it feel? How does it feel to be peers with Nalini Singh? I'm just saying um, I reject that statement. <laughs> <laughs> we are interviewing her uh, coming up and couldn't be more like, yeah, freaking out. <laughs> I think, I I'm think really it's more like out. the, you know, we, we, you know, me and Shani write other stuff too, but the, the difference between writing for yourself and, oh, even finishing a book for yourself, but then publishing it. And, oh, people read it. People like it. And now I've written a bunch of books that people like and read. And now I've written books that are traditionally published that people love and, you know, are sharing everywhere. And I see them constantly all over social media. Uh, when Shani saw a picture of you, she's like, oh, I've seen her picture before. We see her all the time. And I think it's less about Nalini saying specifically and more, you know, you, you know, you're an avid bookworm have been your whole mm-hmm. life how does it feel to now be like you could walk into a bookstore and buy your books like you you're right next to them on the shelves like mm-hmm. what's that like I had to have like a serious mental readjustment because like when people say you're an author I'm like uh. <laughs> and I really for a long time was like behaving as a reader to like to a point where I really shouldn't have been to be honest because it just was not in my head that like I am an author now (laughs) because that's just so weird to me purely because like and I'm sure I'm not alone in this I suppose I do like deify a lot of my favorite authors and maybe like the act of writing a book you know I suppose it's one thing when you read a book and it's a finished project product and it's amazing and you're like oh my god whoever made this must be a god so with my own books, I know how I made them and it wasn't very godlike. So I don't have that same <laughs> I don't have that same feeling. But yeah, I guess technically I am an author. <laughs> I mean, not tech not technically, you are. We're interviewing you because you're an author on authors at a glance. <laughs> I I had the similar thing. So I don't write books, but I write for a living. And I had the strange thing where someone was like, what do you do? I also consult. So I was like, I usually tell people like I'm a consultant and I, I also write things. It's kind of how I used to say it. And someone was like, yeah, but do you make money writing? And I was like, yeah. And then they're like, well, you're a writer. And I was like, touche. <laughs> <laughs> you got That's me so there. Nice. Your logic is sound. <laughs> um, well, I would love to know about the, 
like self-published having complete control of your project aspect versus traditional publishing where you have an editor, you have the publishing house. Like how, how does that work in terms of balancing, you know, like how fast you can write a book and publish it whenever you want to, how, you know, you have to hit deadlines, you have to kind of be in the marketing machine and let them pick the covers. Like how, how did that feel for you? The differences? Um, it was really strange because obviously they both have their benefits um, I mean, I think the benefits of self-publishing really depend on your personality. I think you have to be a bit of a control freak, maybe, which I definitely am. But then <laughs> there is also a lot of pressure with being in control. Whereas with traditional publishing, you maybe lose the pressure because literally all you have to do is write the book. And the cover designers are like actual, well, obviously I have a cover designer. I don't design my own covers because I'm bad at art. But the people who tell the cover designers what to do, that's their job. So you're confident that they're good at it. Whereas when you're doing it yourself, maybe you're not so confident that you're good at it. <laughs> so I think with traditional publishing, there was less pressure. And with self-publishing, there's more control, but more pressure. And I've been really lucky so far that no one in traditional publishing has really asked me to do things that I've been like, eh, I don't want to do that. You know, I like my covers. I get along really well with my editor. And like, I feel like we have the same kind of vision for the books. So I think I've had a lucky time of it. <laughs> do you think you'll self-publish again in the future? Or do you think you'll stick towards more traditional publishing? I will definitely keep self-publishing because the one downside of traditional publishing that's very much a me thing is that I have a very unpredictable body and being able to control my deadlines is maybe more important to me than it might be to someone who doesn't have my conditions. Like, you know, I'm not a person who can say with 100% certainty, yes, I will get this done by this date because who knows, my arm could fall off. Like we really, I couldn't say. <laughs> so I definitely prefer self-publishing because I can push it back if I need to or decide the release date at the last minute, things like that. That's just a personal comfort for me. So yeah, self-publishing for fun, I think. I mean, and for money, obviously, because this is my job and I need food. But <laughs> I understand that, like, that idea of keeping things flexible because you don't know when your body is just going to decide that today is not is not its day. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And you, and you feel, and, and then like, at least for me, I feel guilty because I feel like a, like a flake. So like it, it used to be that I would not flake on anybody, no matter what. I mean, if I told mm -hmm. you I was going to be there, I would be dead or there. Like literally there was a certain point where I was be in the hospital in the day and then performing on stage at night. Like that's how aggressive I was at it. And then when, like at a certain point, obviously that's unsustainable. Um, mm -hmm. And I had to tell myself like, it's okay to tell people that you can't, like you just can't <laughs> do something, you know? Yeah. Uh, and luckily like for, for the podcast and stuff, Bridget is, I'm always like, Bridget. And she's like, cool, let, you know, I'll see you the next day or I'll see you yeah. whenever or whatever, you know? Yeah, I was one uh, of the main people who was like, I was like, Shani, you know, I don't think that you should be going to this shoot you have tonight. She's like, yeah, but I, and I was like, well, 
<laughs> As your friend, I don't think you should go. I think you should just call them. You're like, I can't call them. I'm like, mm, I, must, I must make it. You know, um, I was so, like, your health is so important. So I, so I, I do understand that we're like self-publishing is ideal because like then you're on your own timeline and uh, and then you yeah. also you know so that's pretty cool. Um, now I'm curious also to know. Okay, so you build you build your you know uh, protagonist but when you're trying to build a, the love interest in your in your books, right? Um, when you're building the personality, how do you uh, do that based on the character you've already created? How do you build someone that will fit them? Um, it's very kind of basic. I kind of think, say with Chloe, I'll think what is her main issue that kind of you know, we all have that one thing that when something holds us back, it's usually because of that thing. Um, like a, a certain insecurity that we have or something that's not technically true about ourselves, but that we've internalized. Um, I try and sort that out. And then I think, okay, what kind of person would support this character or put them in positions where they're able to remember that actually I can overcome the thing holding me back? So I feel like for Chloe, she is obviously very closed off and maybe a bit scared of failure because she maybe feels like she's failed at things in the past. And so I needed someone who would be very supportive, easygoing, so that she doesn't feel a lot of pressure. Like, like we were just saying, when you have to pull out of things at the last minute, stuff like that. I needed someone who would be chill so that instead of worrying about their expectations, she would have space to reflect on her own feelings. So that is why Red, her love interest, wound up being like very easygoing, very, very much a people person, very caring. Um, yeah, I just try and balance them together. Shani, one thing that uh, you're also going to love about Red, um, first of all, he's a smoke show and he has long hair, which I know that you like. Secondly, <laughs> he also believes her right away, which I thought was such an undervalued thing in life especially for maybe even someone like me who like I've the pregnancies in my life and my knee surgeries have been the worst pain I've been in but they were very concise moments of time you know they were like a defined period in which things were not great but then you know I have recovered and now things are fine again uh, health-wise and I thought it was wonderful that despite the fact that there is no real like evidence. There's no scar. There's no blood. There's no scraped skin. Like there's nothing that he can see aside from that. He sees like her eyes are tightening or she's moving slower. And he immediately believes her and like makes her tea and takes care of her. And like, there's no feeling of like, Oh, but I wish like we could be together. He's just like, Oh, well, clearly like tonight's not the night for the nookie. So like, let's cuddle on the couch and you know, like, and I'll just sit here with you. And I thought that was like the most romantic and wonderful like thing that I wish that all people would know is that like, you don't owe those things to other people. Like they should see you as you are, believe who you are, who you say you are. And then like take care of you and however, you know, you need to be taken care of. And I, Shani, I think that you're going to love the book. I, th I mean, I think so too. <laughs> and I think the, the older I get and the more I've uh, dealt with any sort of um, all this medical stuff, the more that becomes a sexy phrase to me, which is this like, I see, I see, like something looks like it's not right. 
you just need to chill? Do you want to just sit and chill? Like, is that, yes. want to put a movie on the projector? <laughs> you can put a movie on the projector. Let's do that. And I'm like, you're so sweet. Oh my God. So <laughs> Peak romance. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm like, sploosh. Yeah. <laughs> You want a cup of tea and some Reese's? Yes, I do. How do you, um, so one thing we've been talking about a lot, and we actually just had this amazing interview with Suzanne Brockman, uh, which will come out right before your interview. And one thing she was talking about is the erasure of people who are different. So like if I, let's say as a white author wrote a book, and said something like, oh, I'm uncomfortable writing characters who are not white because I maybe don't want to steal an own voice as author's book or maybe don't feel comfortable writing those books. And Suzanne brought up this idea to us of, but then you're erasing. If you're not willing to like put in the work and do the research and they figure out people different than you and put them in your books because they're in real life. They're, you know, people who are different than you are all over. They're not, they're not, not there. But if you don't <laughs> write them in a book, then it's like they don't exist and how important it is for all authors, not just authors who are in that sort of own voices space, but maybe are an author, you know, who like you might be expected to write a more diverse romance because you're a black author. And like, I would love to hear what your thought. I mean, obviously you do write an incredible gamut of diversity and I think your books are awesome for it. But like, what would you encourage other authors about doing the research and feeling comfortable and, and kind of making sure you represent the world as it is? I think for me, like the books I write have always stemmed from me wanting to write reality. Um, and so I feel like it's the same issue. You know, I see a lot talking about, say, sports romance you have white authors who are writing like American football romance and all the heroes are white. And obviously I'm British and I don't like sport. Even I know that that is ridiculous. Yes. <laughs> that's just not, it's not realistic. Yes. So that's very much a conscious choice to erase reality. And like, obviously that's quite an extreme example, but you see it in all kind of completely white or completely straight or completely neurotypical books. Um, there's definitely been a decision not to write reality. And I feel like in some cases that might come from people having like very small worlds themselves, which is maybe without casting aspersions, something that they need to think about in their personal life. Because <laughs> I live in a really small white town and it's not very diverse at all, but there are still different people here, you know? And like, I know those people because I don't have some kind of, I don't know, aversion to knowing those people. So naturally, over the years, I've come to know them. And I feel like it's just normal these days. Well, I say these days, but it's been normal for like the past, what, 500 years? To live 5,000 maybe. <laughs> to like live in a community with different people. So if you genuinely are not able to fathom characters who are different from you, I really do feel like that might be a personal problem. Mm. <laughs> I, I, uh, this might upset some people, but oh, I don't care. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean, I said on the, when we were uh, talking to Suzanne, um, I, re I basically said like, so most of the time when we're talking to white authors, they'll say that uh, they don't feel like it's their place to write that character. 
Um, and I go, but I was like, but you write a cowboy, you write an astronaut, you write, exactly. you research, right? You don't, you, you talk, <laughs> you talk to people, you know what I mean? Like it's no different than researching any character whatsoever. And even like when I was trying to put it in a personal place for me, because when I was a kid, I used to write so much fan fiction and I had notebooks and notebooks and notebooks that I would just sit for hours and write. Um, and I write about my friends. You know, and I was thinking like as an adult, I would like to do that again. I remember in middle school having like a friend of like nobody in our friend group was the same ethnicity. It was like or like, you know, it was was like me. We had one white girl. Um, We had this uh, girl from Iran. Um, We had a girl from India. We had it was like we were all kind of like the the outcasts, like nobody wanted to hang out with us. So we became our own fun clique, you know, um, of dorks and like. So I would write about my friends. And if I did that today, I would have to go research, you know, like, but I should still be allowed to write about my friends. Like, do you know what I mean? Yeah. So it's definitely, yeah. I feel like, you know, I don't think that, I'm not saying like white people should write main characters who are people of color. I would never say that for many reasons, but I feel like to have a completely all white book or even worse, this is my favorite, when the whole book is white, except for the villain and the servants, (laughs) which happens. You wouldn't think that would happen so often, but it does. It happens so often. I read a lot, like specifically to review now as well. And every time I'm like, oh, you completely rat fucked yourself there. Am I yeah. allowed to swear on this? Yes. Oh yeah. Are. Fuck yes, shit. Anal. Are. This is a very <laughs> explicit podcast. When we get in, when we get into work for it, I'm sure we will spend about ten minutes just talking about the work for it cover because that cover. <laughs> did you get to go to the shoot and no. sprint? Did you spritz uh, the, the the steamy you know sweat on his back as he was flexing like no, that, that was just about? like a stock photo Get and it's out. actually a really popular one because I've yes, seen it, it is. On, I've, on I've there. seen it I've seen it so there's it's so funny hot. because there's because uh, I used to uh, produce audiobooks but I will see the same covers the same people come through like so much just one there's this one guy who always plays like the Russian like <laughs> the mob bus that is on every cover especially after 50 shades of gray came out like he must have been making bank on whatever stock footage like website that he came off of but uh yesterday at the uh the shoot that i was on one of the models was a romance cover uh model and um so we got to talking and he was telling me that because he's been on so many covers now he goes to like romance conferences and he was like he was like, y'all ladies are some horny ass ladies. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. And I was like, you're not wrong. I'm not, not going to say there's you're wrong. A, there's a reason why romance is like a $2 billion industry, man. We, we're here for the feels and for the sex. Well, it's the equivalent of like, um, we have something called Exotica, which is like a huge porn convention, right? When oh. you go there, people are kind of inappropriate because it's a huge porn convention. Um, and I think kind of a romance novel convention can probably be a little bit like that where people are, you're like, well, this is romance. This is like the equivalent of like, you know, <laughs> like a calmer, more subtle porn convention. Like <laughs> this is, I mean, I've never been to a romance conference. I was going to before COVID, but then COVID. And um, I was always really hesitant to go to one because I was like, what if people ask me questions or <laughs> talk to me in general. So 
Shawnee went to a podcast conference last year before COVID. And she's like, she called me on the first day. She's like, Bridget, I want you to know that for you, because I was in Atlanta, so I couldn't go. I was in LA. She's like, for you, I will talk to people and I will be nice <laughs> and I will be just like you and I'll be friendly and I'll give them my business card and I will do all the things, but I want you to know I'm only doing it for you. And I was like, you signed up for this conference. I didn't make you go there to try and blame me for this nonsense. I was, oh I was really trying. Like I, I signed, I know I got a free ticket to go and it was like an expensive ticket. So it was like, okay, I'm not going to not go because we need to learn about podcasting and get in the community and blah, blah, blah. But it was a whole lot of people and the overwhelm, like the whole like wanting to shut down and go back to my room and like, like just curl under my thing was and I had to fight the feeling the whole time. Half the time I had to fight not to like stand in the corner. I was like, Shani, just go talk to people. Come on. One, two, three. We can do it. We can do it. it." (laughs) Oh, my gosh. (laughs) So, uh, yeah. (laughs) Um, I want to talk about sex on the page because. Yes, it's really important in romance. <laughs> yes, for me as a reader, I would like mm. to be let in. I've been let into all of the other emotions. I would like to be let into that aspect of the relationship, also. Um, how do you, you know, decide how much sex should be in the book? How do you decide, like, do you, you know, you said Chloe Brown kind of came fully formed? Did you already know kind of what sex? style and, and situations she would be in or did those come as you're writing and you're like oh this is a nice moment for xyz I think like um I mean I've written I think the amount of sex in my book really varies and depends on the book um like I know that my books I think yeah they all they all have sex in um, but as I don't should. think <laughs> I don't think they would have to like there are loads of romance novels without sex that I really enjoy and I really enjoy slow burns as well so there are romance novels with little sex that I enjoy but then when I sit down to write they just be like banging (laughs) I don't plan it it's more like I don't know I guess I'm trying to write people who are super into each other and then for me that always leads to them. They're super into each other, like emotionally, and they want to be friends and hang out. But then they're also always just super horny for each other. I don't know why that happens, but it happens. So <laughs> I didn't, I don't plan out anything that's going to happen with the sex scenes until I kind of come to the sex scene, if that makes sense. Um, in terms of where they're going to be, I don't really plan that either, but I will kind of make a note of if they reach this emotional point here, then it might be good for the pacing for a sex scene to happen. Because obviously I feel like you should put sex scenes in um, for a reason. This is just for me. Like I read a lot of books that have pointless sex scenes and I love them. Shout out to those books. (laughs) But in my books, I'm like, oh, I want the sex scene to do something. So I might be like, hmm, I need them to fall out. So they're going to have sex and then they're going to be sad about it or something like that but that's about as much planning as I do so so um okay so Bridget and I work in like uh visuals and we and post-production and we shoot a lot and film a lot and that sort of thing and we kind of find that a lot of times we really find the story once we get to post and once we're in the edit and so uh we're curious as to um like from your first draft to what it finally is are you do you, do you have the story from the jump? Are you really finding it in the fine tuning? And have you ever had to like 
take a real hard left? Like, or has the story ever taken a, a big turn after you've edited it? Um, I think it definitely varies. There are books that are a lot closer to like, I feel like I have one true story in me that is the easiest, most natural story I could ever write. And I've written that. So now I have to write other stuff. <laughs> and the closer a book is to that one true story, the more it instantly comes together and the less I have to kind of change it. But then when I'm trying to be like very daring and go out of my comfort zone, that's when editing oh, takes forever and things go left and right and upside down. Um, like Take a Hint, Danny Brown is a great example of that because I rewrote that whole book like four times and each version was pretty different <laughs> than the other versions. <laughs> <laughs> which is possibly the most work I've ever put into like figuring out what I want a story to be. Um, so it depends basically, but editing is definitely, I mean, this is like the most basic thing you could say, but editing definitely makes my books better. <laughs> but <laughs> Well, we appreciate that because, you know, we've been reading a lot more. We're, we're trying really hard to have diversity in our slate because we've, we, as we were researching different podcasts and just like for our own enjoyment, we wanted to have, obviously like we've made a conscious decision in the future to never have a closed door romance again, just because we, we just we don't like, like reading open door romances. <laughs> so we don't want to like rate a book worse just because it doesn't have something we know it's not going to have. That's not very mm. fair. Other podcasts will review that book, other bloggers and stuff. And that doesn't have to be us, but we also try really hard to have like you know, a diversity in authors, a diversity in authors, indie versus, pub, you know, traditional publishing, a diversity in the character pairing. So not all of them male, female, not all of them the same ages, not all of them in like the same situation of their life or the same countries, even same time zone, same historical versus modern versus paranormal. And like one of the coolest things is discovering a lot of self-published authors along this route. and. Unfortunately, we've also discovered that some people don't spend the money for an editor. And I think that that, like, if I could encourage an indie author, <laughs> not being one myself, the one thing I would say is like, it's worth it to really have, because nothing's more distracting than reading the first chapter. And you've already noticed a bunch of like typos or the sentence structure feels a little awkward. It's so hard to get into the romance and into the story if you're like distracted by things that feels like you could have avoided. Yeah, like when I started publishing, I didn't, I don't think I've ever said this in public, but I didn't edit any of my books. Or rather I did edit them, but I edited them myself because <laughs> I had no money. <laughs> and I was like, I was obviously super uptight about it because as a reader, if I'm reading something and it's just like, like you say, throwing me out of the story, I've got like a thousand books I can read. So I'll be like, no, thanks. And just get rid of it. Um, so being conscious of that, I was so anxious and I would like proofread a thousand times and I had three different apps on my computer to check it. And, and still, you know, when I did start making money, I went back and had my earlier books edited and still there was so much stuff. And I was like, oh God. <laughs> I, so I, it's tricky. <laughs> I think there's tricky. so much uh, romance community, especially of indie authors, and uh, I feel like it, there could be some just sort of link up where people just help each other edit each other's books because it doesn't matter how good you are at writing and not having typos, you can't see 
errors in your own situations. You just don't see them because you you just read, read right it. past them. Too many times, yeah. <laughs> to, there is yeah. like, there's definitely those communities, but because I'm me, I didn't talk to anyone on my <laughs> <laughs> do you do you use um uh what are they called pre-readers what are they called johnny the, the like beta readers beta readers that's beta readers. the word that's beta what readers. i'm looking for yeah beta readers yeah the sensitivity readers and the beta readers yeah. <laughs> i when i started i had my friends doing that for me they still do it for me now um but back then they were the only other people reading the book whereas now they're just like the first people reading the book <laughs> but and, yeah i i had that and now um like I have made author friends. It's just taken me like a really long time. <laughs> but now that I have, I also have like author friends who will do a swap with me or check something out. And that has really made everything so much less anxiety inducing. Cause like you said, you can't really see your own errors no matter how hard you try. Yeah. It's Plus the, the like community of identify, like they've been there. They've had a roadblock where they're like, I just don't know how to get out of this scene or I don't know how to like, wrap this this part up yeah. like yeah. they like even just like I find it so much so cathartic just to share it with someone who's in that same zone and be like I don't know what I'm doing wrong but something's broken <laughs> fix it for me and they just say like one little phrase like oh yeah me too you could try xyz and you're like oh duh yes. <laughs> <laughs> like we read some like big authors books recently where we got to the end and we were like what happened there like like the book was so good until the very end where we're like, what, what hard left? So it doesn't actually, for me, I'm like, it doesn't matter what level you're at in your writing. You're always going to get to that point where like, you're like, I don't know how to finish this shit right here, you know? Um, but it's uh, one of the things that, um, this is like a side thing. It's like Bridget and I read um, a couple books and, so I'm hyper-literal. One of the things about me is, is that my brain fixates on certain things. So if you tell me a story and you start giving me details of the story, and then at some point what you're saying doesn't match a detail from the beginning, it like, it like kills something. I'm like, wait, I start fixating on that. Wait, I don't understand how that could happen. Okay. If so-and-so did this, this, and this, then how did, you know, or whatever. And Bridget's like, it's a fun story. I'm like, it doesn't make sense, Bridget. It doesn't make sense. <laughs> Shawnee really struggles with like the suspense romance genre. And she's like, why would they be having sex right then? And I was like, oh my God, I do. Oh my God. <laughs> why are they oh doing that? God. That doesn't make sense. And I'm like, I'm like, because. Stop, Stop having sex. <laughs> they have, they have two hours during this stakeout before the bad guy comes. What else are you going to do? But go to pound town, Shawnee. You're going to pound town. That's what you're going. <laughs> yeah, absolutely my hard line because like I've been in danger right and I, I didn't want to have sex I wanted, I wanted to feel nauseous and like rock back and forth for a while <laughs> not like with someone else just alone <laughs> with my clothes on <laughs> so yeah I struggle with that too like I know for a fact that there are personality types usually the personality types who find themselves in suspenseful situations who would be like, oh, now's a great time to bang. But for me, no, can't do it. <laughs> Wouldn't even have gotten into that situation because I always, I always tell my friends I see a bad situation coming 10 miles away and I'm like, nope, I'm out of here. See you later. <laughs> Go home. Yeah. <laughs> Not I for wouldn't me. Be, 
I wouldn't be at the stakeout, okay? Because I'm yeah. not going to put myself in these <laughs> I'm at home, okay? Eat dinner. <laughs> you know what, Talia? In this situation, it was because an ancient artifact happened to be in your house and they thought you still had it. But really, the people before had it. You had to track it down to get yourself out of danger. It's not like you put yourself in the situation. The situation happened to you, okay? What I would say to that is, this is why I don't answer the door. Don't <laughs> I'm call my phone. I'm not here. <laughs> you must be. You must be loving COVID only because not because of obviously all the horrible things, but because me and Shadi were talking about like there's you don't ever have to say no to anyone anymore because no one's having dinners, no one's having events. You don't mm-hmm. have to say like, oh, I can't meet for coffee because X Y Z. Just like no one invites you because you can't go anywhere. You can't do anything. Well, like, and also like before COVID, so like my band merch is all this like personal space merch. So I have a shirt that says not a hugger, um, <laughs> you know, like do not disturb empath at work, you know, stuff that really says, Hey, take a step back, <laughs> you know, <laughs> or whatever. And so I'm like, now I'm not expected to hug anyone. Not now people don't just come up and, you know, touch like, you anywhere. If people actually give you boundary space. Mm, that's like fabulous. My, my favorite thing is like, when people come to deliver things, you open the door and they've already left. They've just put it on your doorstep. <laughs> Love that. I could just wave. I don't even have to speak because when I speak to people is when the problems arise. I can just wave in silence and go inside again. Loving that. <laughs> There's a, um, a ramen house in, uh, I want to say it's in Japan. I don't know if they have one in the, in the States or anywhere else, but where there's no human contact to get your food. So you put in your order, there's a, you're in a like little cubicle with a curtain. They just stick your food in front of it or whatever. And you never have to interact with the human being. And I was like, this sounds fabulous. <laughs> <laughs> All the benefits of eating at home, but you don't have to make it yourself. I love that. Nope. Yeah. And they have all the extra spices you might not have. They have some <laughs> ideas percolating. The ginger. They're the actually ginger. like good at cooking and like me. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> oh, oh, okay. So let's talk audiobooks because I'm curious actually um, if you have any say in your audiobooks um, who the narrators are when you are, um, when you're with your publisher. Um, and then when you're self-published, I like, how are you finding your narrators and what's the process like of working with the narrator? I kind of know this a little bit from the other side as a producer, mm-hmm. um, but I'm very curious as to uh, how, how that comes about with them. So for my traditionally published books, they kind of uh, send me options um, And then I go onto Audible and type the person in and listen. And I'm like, oh, okay, yeah, they're pretty good. Um, Well, usually I'm like blown away, this person, please. And I'm lucky because I always get who I want, kind of. So that's that's been nice. Um, And then with my self-published books, I don't self-publish my audio books. My agent sells the audio rights to like audio publishers. Um, So I have never dealt with narrators myself. But similarly, the publisher will be like, these are some options that we can approach, like have a listen, who do you prefer? Um, And then sometimes, um, for example, they might suggest for the heroine, like all white voice actors. So I always Google image, whoever it is. Um, So then I have to be like, I would like it to be a black person, actually. Um, And things like that, just to make sure that it like reflects the characters. Um, 
but that's about as much as I really do. And I don't, yeah. I don't really listen to the audiobooks, like my audiobooks, because I don't like reading my own books. Um, so I probably, I haven't really done my due diligence, you might say. I'm not going to. <laughs> Fair, do you, fair do enough, you listen to audiobooks not of your own audiobooks do you listen to audiobooks or are you because I have listened to maybe a couple here and there if I have to but I very much don't prefer it because I find it's very distracting the voices are very distracting for me but when I'm reading a book I immediately can like build the world in my mind and I get lost in it I can read a whole book front to back no problem without getting up moving or doing anything but reading um but audiobooks, I find that I'm like, wait a minute, what are they talking about now? Where, <laughs> where are we in the story? Do you like to listen or are you a reader? Well, when I decided to give audiobooks a try, um, I can't remember why exactly, but the first one I got was one of the Immortals After Dark series by Cresley Cole. And I don't know if you guys have listened to that series. We but... just we just did a podcast on it like a couple days ago. Yeah. So yeah. the narrator, I want to say his name is Robert Petkoff. Yes. Yeah. He is like, <laughs> yeah. what? Like, incredible. Changed yeah. my life. And he is so commanding that I listened to the whole series on audio. I was like, audio is amazing. This is incredible. I love this. And then I finished the series and I bought a different audio book and I couldn't concentrate on it at all. And like, it's like you said, I'd be like drifting off and I'd be like, oh, is this person still talking? What did they just say? I was thinking about socks and that's happened to me with every audiobook that I've tried to listen to since only Robert Peckoff can hold my my terrible attention span yeah it's it's interesting because that that happens to me all the time the first audiobook I ever read was um or listened to was Stephen Fry doing Harry Potter um and because I had to take a two-hour commute I had to drop my brother off in another city at his university then drive like an hour and a half to my university so it was the easiest thing like throw an audiobook so I listened to a whole Harry Potter series this way and Stephen Fry is amazing I mean he has you in the story locked in just like waiting you know um the Immortals After Dark series I have listened to twice over and freaking love it to death um and then you get these some of these uh, like these voices that just kind of great, like I'm very particular on sound, like uh, I have a sound sensitivity. So like some voices, I'm just like, I can't, like, I just, like, I just can't, I can't do it, I can't do it. <laughs> so in some ways <laughs> I struggle, I struggle to get through. I have to keep rewinding or rewinding or right, rewinding. Um, so I don't know exactly what it is, but yeah, I, de- I definitely, the narrator to me can make or break a book very easily. And I can't read anymore. Bridget likes to laugh at me, but I can't physically read books anymore because um, my eyes don't track properly. Oh, like, really? Yeah. So pretty much audio is my go-to. Yeah. We've done two two books total of the 40, I think, that we've read so far um, that did not have audio books. And Shawnee was like, we got to stop. We can't do, we can't do anymore. <laughs> None more of that. <laughs> took me so long to get through. And I didn't feel like I could properly review the books um, because I wasn't getting a continuous stream of consciousness of, you know, like when yeah. a book grabs you in and you're getting the emotion and then stop, 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 stop. like, how can I rate it, uh, the book properly if I 
don't have what the author intended, you know? Yeah, I got that. How did you build your fan base and like get all of your reviews and ratings? Like, especially in the early days before you had like a publishing house, who's got a marketing team and they're doing, you're reaching out to people on your behalf. Like, how did you kind of like slowly build your, your base? Um, with great difficulty. <laughs> when I started, there were all these kind of websites that were like, we will help you get your first 50 reviews. So you pay us like $10 or whatever, and we'll give you a list of emails of people who have signed up and you can send them romance novels um, and they will review. And I was like, okay, cool. So I did that. And it was really tricky because I, I've never been very great with technology. So I was literally opening an email, typing in an address, attaching the book, writing a little note and then sending it. <laughs> and it took me forever. Um, and also I found that a lot of those people didn't review it. And some of my books mysteriously appeared on pirate websites and it was all very messy and difficult. Mm. Um, so basically it was just a lot of trial and error and a lot of research and harassment because I decided to only start sending my books to bloggers um, because obviously they have like a, a vested interest in not, for example, helping book pirates. So I felt safer sending it to actual bloggers. But then of course you have to find the bloggers. You have to read enough of the blog that you don't sound like a fool when you approach them. You have to, or I was dead set on emailing everyone like individually with a different message that like proved that I totally read their blog. <laughs> Um, so it was very time consuming. Luckily at that point I was at university, so I would just ignore my lectures and spend like the hour sending emails and stuff. It was great, amazing procrastination tool. Um, and I guess it was all just like organic growth because when I got a certain level of social media followers or email subscribers, I then started saying like, sign up here if you want the book early to review it. And because those people already liked my books, they were more likely to give me nice reviews. So mm -hmm. that worked out well, but I'm glad I don't have to do that anymore because it was really hard. Yeah. Do you read the reviews? No, no, <laughs> no, no. Oh my God. No. Just, just hearing that gave me anxiety. No, <laughs> I don't need to know people's thoughts no oh god I'm I'm sorry I'm having a moment I at one point I was like I have to read reviews because I have to know if people like my books um and I quickly learned that some people did and some people didn't mm -hmm. and I didn't enjoy the didn'tness so I decided to just ignore it forever and I'm much happier now <laughs> <laughs> I think that that is much healthier because I I was recently reading um something and actually it was Nalini Singh said like hey authors like don't get upset by bad reviews like you're you wrote a book like it's it they can decide what they think about it mm. you don't have to read the review and I was like yeah you don't like we had a couple authors um who are not that happy we didn't like their book and it's like yeah but like we make this podcast for readers we don't make yeah. this podcast for authors like don't come Absolutely. listen to our we didn't send it to them we didn't yeah. tag them in anything like they just, I don't know, must've Googled their book or something and found it. Um, but like, we didn't like, I would never, I've sent only like our five-star reviews where we like love the book so much. I'll like send that and be like, Hey, BT dubs, like, we love you so much. Here's, you know, here's our review. Um, cause those are nice for people to have on their website, like quotes and whatever, but I would never send a negative review to an author. I'd never tag them. Like 
it's not for you. It's to tell other readers, hey, like, here's the reasons why this book didn't work for me in case these are reasons why a book doesn't work for you so that you don't read it and go find a different author. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I think that, um, well, first of all, I, as a reader, I don't really, I don't really write negative reviews anymore for a lot of reasons, but when I was just a reader, I would write the most scathing critical reviews and it was my right and I enjoyed it (laughs) and it had value. (laughs) And I'm like, you know what? Someone read the book, right? And that's really all I wanted. And if they didn't like it, that's fine. You know, that's that has nothing to do with me as a person or with them as a person. So I don't need to get personally upset by it. But but the thing is, I know you said that you wouldn't send a negative review to an author. And I, I just wish that everyone agreed because <laughs> some people will send you negative reviews or tag you. Instagram is the worst for this. So someone will tag me in like a gorgeous picture of my book and I'll be like, oh, I like it. And then the caption will be like, one star. This book didn't work for me at all. Has the author ever read a dictionary? <laughs> then I'm like, oh, oh God. Yeah, I'm actually my life Yeah. <laughs> Why? Like, I, me and Shawnee talk about this a lot. Like, we, we obviously are, one of our things that we really like firmly believe in from the beginning of the podcast that we have to be honest. So even if we get gifted copies of books, even if we have publishers mm-hmm. in the future, authors that we really like, and we read a future book of theirs, like we still have to give it an honest review because again, we're doing this for readers. We want the readers to know if it's five stars, like buy it today. Cause we don't give out five stars that often. If it's four stars, you should still buy it today. Cause that's a great book. If it's three stars, it's going to hit. If you like that genre, like that's a solid book for you. And if it's two or one, like, don't waste your time. Cause like, that means we really didn't like it. And, you know, and, and we really firmly want that. Cause I see a lot of people who just give every book five stars. And I'm like, as lovely as books are, and as lovely as, as <laughs> stories are, they're not all five stars. They can't all be five stars. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> we sometimes, Bridget, and I'm like, they're lying on good they're reason. Lying. <laughs> they are lying. They're lying. And we, we've gotten so upset by books that have been, everybody's like five stars, five stars, five stars. And we read it and we're like, this is not even three stars. I don't know what anybody, and we just don't think people are are being really honest in their reviews, you know? Um, And so, so we always kind of joke about that. And there's, there's this other aspect that happened too, right? So with the ability for, for self-publishing, right? Over the years, people having more control over that, it's uh, a lot of people have started self-publishing. But because of that, I've, I've seen what I think is a lot of people who write fan fiction, um, and that was their pride, that was their normal thing, um, see the success of some fan fictions that, you know, have done really well and have decided to start publishing their fan fictions. However, I think it's the equivalent of making a video for YouTube and putting it on TikTok, right? These are two different cultures, and the readers in those places expect two different types of things, and they don't translate well. So where you're building a saga over here for fan fiction, something that is chapter by chapter, when you take that and publish it as a book, very unedited, um, it seems like a book that's just stringing you along, like in this weird kind of (laughs) escape. And so I think that's where more attention needs to be put for, uh, because we want to support authors who are self-publishing, but I, I do find that I'm encountering a lot of authors who are coming in from that trajectory. Um, and so I'm wanting them, I'm like, 
you have so many good ideas. I was, I'm always the bridge. I'm like, there are so many good ideas in this. <laughs> like, I'm rooting for you, <laughs> you know? Um, and so I'm hoping that, uh, like, now I feel like it's just, there's so much more opportunities and people are doing so much great stuff and you're seeing mm. some really great writing. I'm hoping that people um, see that these are kind of two different mediums and start to uh, really kind of, I feel like there might be a middle balance to um, like a new genre, a slightly different genre that appears because of these two mergings. Um, but I haven't, haven't, it hasn't hit yet for me. <laughs> I feel like, I think it's the distinction, isn't it, between like serialized fiction that does kind of pull you along a bit, but that works for the format and then making that or trying to make that fit a different format. So I think I always think that before you publish anything, you should always look like, what do I want to be like? What's doing well or what's doing what I want my work to do? And then read it and get to know it and think, okay, do I actually fit here or do I fit somewhere else? So I feel like if someone really enjoys that fan fiction style writing, they just need to find like the perfect place for it, like doing serial releases or like an app like Radish, which is like a serial romance rap or something like that. Romance rap, romance app. (laughs) (laughs) I think a lot of those, um, like the the fan fiction books too, have taken on people writing uh, many books that don't need to be many books. This This is a soapbox I've been on where they, it's a trilogy. I mean, like you had, you had barely a duology at best. Like, <laughs> how did this become three books? <laughs> this is such a controversial topic. Cause I know like authors talk about this a lot as well. They're like, okay, I want to write um, this story. And I think it needs to be two books or three books, but will readers hate me because readers are being so vocal right now. Like about the some people will die for a trilogy and love the cliffhangers and want that but then other people are like how dare you give me one book and one book only <laughs> well give I, me no just give me good right yeah. right <laughs> right as much as you it could be five books i mean freaking immortals after dark is like when is it 18 17, books, 17 now books or something now. um but it's just give me good if you can if you have three good books i'll read all three if you have two good books, I'll read two. But when I get to book two and you're making some bullshit cliffhangers out of nothing, <laughs> drama out of nowhere, just so I'll buy that extra book, I will not pick, I will cancel that author to me because you have disrespected me as a reader because you're not giving me good. You're giving me, I want your money. And that to me is the hard part of it. I'm like- Or or, or not even like maybe they want the money, but more like, like you didn't think this through because like that's kind of I like especially if I read a great first book and I'm like thrilled for the second book and then I read the second one and I'm like oh this feels like a filler before you finish it in the next book you know like it feels like the second book like nothing happens like but what like it's all just there and I'm like okay well in that case that second book and the third book you need to edit into one book because clearly the third book has some juice the second book though I'm like nothing's happening give me that's give the, me story I need more story I think that's tough though to like when you in your mind ahead of time think oh I have enough for a trilogy so that's what you write thinking and then you get there and you're like I don't know like maybe the publisher if yourself if you're you know in traditional publishing like well we contracted three books we need three books or whatever the case may be um that's that I think is the is the heartbreaking thing when you are so thrilled about book two and you get there and you're like, but 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 
but book one was so good <laughs> what happened but I have this all within one book like I'll be like okay this is going to be a 90,000 word book and then I'll get to the middle and I'll be like fuck this is not a 90,000 word book <laughs> and then it's like panic stations and I have to invent a story which is supposedly my job but it's very difficult sometimes <laughs> It is very, it is super hard. I mean, that's why I'm not a published author. It's very, very hard. It's like, one thing I'm impressed with you is like considering that your body doesn't always allow you to write how much you've written, how many books you've written. Cause like, I'm not going to lie. If I had days where I was like, well, I can't type. I'd be like, well, that's the week for me. Even if like three, <laughs> even if like three days later I felt better, I'd be like, "Well, next week I'll be. Next week I'll try, I'll try again." And I don't think I would have written, you know, tons and tons and tons of books. Like you have, like it, it's pretty astonishing the volume of your work over the time period, considering that you're not just at your computer every single day from nine to four. You know? Yeah, I mean. I think one of the reasons for that is that my brain will not leave me alone. Like I was writing before we started this call and it was like, what, seven o'clock here and I've finished work for the day. And this is actually the start of my week off. And I was like, okay, no more writing. And then my brain was like, but I have all these thoughts for you to write down. So <laughs> I have to do something with them. And I have a lot of creative um, like ways to get my thoughts down when I can't actually type. Um, but also I was actually looking the other day, I did like a list of all the books I've written in the year I wrote them. And it's super depressing because in 2017 and 2018, I had no money. So I wrote like a ton. Um, and then in 2019, I had money. So I wrote like a, an amount that I was comfortable and happy with. And I was like, oh, this is amazing. This is the start of the rest of my life. And then in 2020, I wrote a grand total of one book and that is because I have just been all over the place as has the rest of the world and I was like wow hard evidence that my brain collapsed in March hate yeah. to see it but yeah. I it. <laughs> yeah very yeah. very same I collapsed for a solid four months yeah absolutely nothing I had no desire to leave my bedroom my parent I had I got stuck in Florida at my parents house and so I was living the lap of luxury they were feeding me and I had no motivation to do shit. And then at about the four month mark, my body went like, <laughs> time to be creative. Like it was so weird. <laughs> it's yeah. so weird. Like how that happens. I honestly just don't like, like I said, usually my brain won't leave me alone. I have all these ideas, but for the majority of this year, I've been like, could I please have a story? And my brain's like, no. And I'm like, but we signed a contract. We already <laughs> spent the money. <laughs> I don't wanna. <laughs> Are you contracted for more books after Eve Brown? No, no, that was my last contracted book. And actually I'm lucky that it was the kind of story that I love to tell because if I had tried to kind of stretch myself and like go out of my comfort zone with that, with that one, it would not have gone finished. And I would have been in trouble. But luckily, it was like a very fun, satisfying balm to like the chaos of this year. But it was definitely all I've been able to do. Well, I do have another book, um, a Christmas book that I'm kind of <gasps> finishing up right now. Yeah. Um, but that's just a little tiny one. So I'm is that coming out for this Christmas? That. It is Yay! somehow. 
You know, the, the funny thing about Christmas is like, so last year was the first Christmas season that we did, we were like looking for Christmas books and we could not, it took us so long to find a Christmas book that wasn't about a divorce, say a second chance at, at love. And like, and we were just like, is Christmas like the Is yours a divorce, like, a second chance at love? Is, Tell me it is. is it? Tell me it is. <laughs> Yay! Well, kind of. She's divorced and they have never been together, but they have always kind of wanted to be together, but haven't. Yeah. And Ooh, he's friend, like, okay, this friends is to it. lovers. The Christmas it. is the second chance at love. It's the season. It's the season. <laughs> so she good. is a divorcee. Love that. <laughs> That's so good. Yeah, we had there were a lot of like single moms. There were a lot of like people leaving the big bad city to go back to like small towns and like have a real, like quote unquote, was, real Christmas. And there was definitely like a theme. We were, we were definitely noticing a theme at Christmas time. Yeah. This, this year, because I'm doing only steamy romances for Shawnee as my gift to her, uh, we found a novella that is, uh, the description had me because it said, that he was in America visiting, but he really wanted to go back home, London, to the comfort of his playroom. And I was like, oh, we go read that book. <laughs> Red room of pain. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> Christmas BDSM. That's what, what we all need. Our, our, we started this podcast around the time that I, I started my kink journey. So it's like all of our listeners have followed my my kink learnings i took like a like kink classes and stuff oh my god wow i know (laughs) yes well because i'm very methodical in the way like Mm -hmm. i do stuff so i wasn't about to throw myself into anybody's red room of pain you know so i like googled bdsm 101 and i found classes near me and i took this whole six-week course on like you know uh the terms of everything what safety looks like and then they have like demos and they even have these beginner play parties where you go and they'll teach you how to spank and like face lap and do all sorts of other kinky like you guys Talia's face she is so excited her mouth's open she's (laughs) smiling she's like oh 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 tell me more tell me more and the best thing now is that they're on zoom right so like so I have a friend of mine who I know is kinky and then she's still kind of in the whatever so I gifted her the classes or whatever so she could take them on zoom but it's it was the it changed my life it was like you know because there's just I always knew from like a very young age but like stepping into that it was so it's such a daunting you know it was such a daunting thing so being able to go to a very structured class you know with everything mm. being very above board was like the biggest thing ever and that now the teacher of that class she started a youtube channel and I actually helped her do all of her stuff so she could start the channel. Um, Cause I'm like, more people need to know and be able to learn from just their living room. You know yeah, what I mean? Definitely. Yeah. yeah. We'll send, we'll send you the, we'll send you the info. <laughs> <laughs> There's actually, um, I really love this indie author called Adore Ian because her books are very, very hot, but she also like, I think I might've read somewhere that she did like, she was a sex educator at some point or something like that. Either that or she's just super into sex ed. Because all her books have little handy dandy sex ed tips in there, yeah. which I love to see. And also sometimes I'm like, oh, I didn't know that. <laughs> so fun, educational. Ad- Adorian? Ador- yes. Is. Yeah. <laughs> we'll check. We will check that out for sure. For sure. We're always looking for new authors. We're actually about to, we're excited because we're about to dip after the season into dark romance. 
Oh, so I think that'll be really fun because there's just so much to unpack and explore and like it's going to be it's going to be a real fun one to probably have a little disclaimer at the beginning like this whole season is a trigger warning so <laughs> please feel free to listen to all of our back catalog if this is not for you um oh that was one thing I forgot to say earlier is I appreciate that all of your books at the beginning have the content warning up front. Do I really, really appreciate that because we talk about that all the time. All the time. There is nothing worse than having, oh, I saw this cute, fun rom-com illustrated cover. And then all of a sudden there's like all of these issues and like maybe past abuse or neglect or rape or family strife or whatever's, you know, going on. And we're like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I signed up for a rom-com. I signed up for a cute, happily ever after with some quips <laughs> and some sexy fun time. Like I didn't sign up for like, like if I want to like be in that mood, I want, you know, I'm going to like go for the dark cover with the like mysterious looking something. And I'm like, okay, something's going on here. I know there might be something going on in this book. Yeah. And I really appreciate that you put not only like the big, you know, quote unquote big things like, Oh, there's like a rape in the past or there's like something like that's very, very, but you also put like, Hey, this book talks about anxiety. This book talks about depression. This book talks about like you put it all there so someone can make a really educated decision to start. And I think that is maybe the coolest thing about you. I like a lot of things about you. I love your books, but I think that might be my favorite. Cause we talk, we are like, can we get some cool little like disclaimer pictographs on the <laughs> yes. back of a book? Can we get yeah, like I, I I want I want little little icons like there's like a little legend little icons <laughs> that mean certain things before I pick up a book yeah. and then I want they oh, do that right they don't no, no. so no, like there's there's like a publisher I wish I could remember who it was just like I've read some of their books and noticed they have little icons on the back. Um, that say like things like this book has a lot of sex. This book is violent. This book is scary. Really? Oh, oh we should. In my mind. We gotta. I wish we gotta check it out because, like, most of the time, no. And then on Audible, yeah. on Audible, definitely not because there's the most minimal of information on Audible. Yeah. And a lot of times, like for me specifically, like I dealt with sexual abuse as a child, and it's not. Um, it's not that I'm uh, like above reading about sexual abuse in a book. It's just used so much, and and like. It, you get bogged down over time it, with that being the thing that's always the the mm. you know and like so I want to pick and choose when I'm picking up a book that I'm gonna have to deal that deal with that in you know and like I also want to pick and choose if the doors are closed or open I want a little icon that has like open doors or cold doors because sometimes look man I'm trying to get my fix so if this book is not gonna get me my fix it's gonna make me angry <laughs> angry <laughs> reading this book <laughs> We recently read a book and there was like a lot of um, God talk. I don't know, religiousness of the main characters. And like in the first chapter, Shawnee goes, oh, this book's not going to have any sex in it. <laughs> I was like hopeful. I was like, no, maybe they're going to get married at some point. And then we <laughs> it didn't happen. They didn't get married until the epilogue. I was like, oh, well, what can you do? What can you do? <laughs> that book was so hard to get through because I already knew. I was like. I'm committed and no sex. <laughs> My God, hilarious. Anyways, I, I think that's awesome. I think I would, I wish more, especially more indie authors, because obviously traditional publishing, like, you know, maybe it might be harder to, you know, a harder conversation, or maybe you don't have the leverage to get that in the, like right in the front. It's not like you stick it in the back. Like it's like right in the front. So it's like, you know, Hey, this is what it's about. Um, 
And maybe, you know, maybe that would be harder for other authors, depending, but indie authors, I think for sure could, could, you know, use that as a note to Mm. let, let people know what they're getting into. Cause also like as a reviewer, like, again, going back to like, you want to have positive buzz around your book. You want to have positive reviews. You want to have champions for your book. If I'm reading a book and I feel deceived by the marketing, it's immediately going to, even if I really like it, it's still going to be a lower star just because I'm like, that's not what I thought I was getting. So even if I might have rated it a five, if I had known, it probably will only be a four just because I'm like, Hey, disappointed. I'm di- yeah, or, or just like, or, or just like, wasn't ready for it. So I wasn't in the space to have that story be the right story for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think we, we think a lot about reader expectation in terms of like when we're writing the book, for example, if I'm writing a romance, it needs to have a happy ending and it needs to have this and that. Cause that's what the readers want. That's why they picked it up. And similarly, I feel like I need to set these expectations with the content notes because like you said, you want to be ready for certain topics. You want to be able to actively choose. Like, you know, it's not a case of you pick it up and you see something that you're maybe not really comfortable with in the content notes. So you don't read the book. I'm sure that does happen sometimes, but sometimes it's like, okay, I'm going to save this for when I'm in a really good place or like, I'm struggling at the minute, so I can't read this right now, but I can read it another time. Mm-hmm. And, you know, w- without that note, like, say you were really upset about this or that, you were having some issues that day, and you think, I'm going to get away from this by reading a book. And then you pick up the book, and there it is, and you didn't know. Obviously, you're now going to hate that book for eternity, throw yeah. out the window, and feel even worse. Like, nobody wants that. <laughs> yeah, or maybe even, like, you don't finish it and realize, you know, the great ending that it has, yeah. or the characters yeah. grow, or they do get past it, or whatever the case may be. Yeah. Um yeah, I think the reader expectation thing, I think would be like, we, we have like, we sort of defined what our quote unquote listeners, we thought, I mean, who knows what they end up will be after we did this for years and years, but we defined what we imagined would be the listeners of our show and what they would want from us. And so that was like the expectations of like what we would deliver them, like what we wanted to deliver and then what we sort of, but I think it's a really interesting thing. Like you're writing the story you want to write, but also dealing with like the publisher expectations and like where the market is and what types of stories are being purchased. And Mm. like, have you ever had a book where you wrote it, but you're like, Oh, I'm going to hold that till next year because I think this other book should be published first because of whatever's going on. Well, I don't tend to have that many books ready at once. (laughs) Not that organized, (laughs) but I have definitely felt like, you know, one good thing about self-publishing is that you can have a weird little niche book and you know, it's not going to do very well but you put it out anyway, because, you know, the people who like that are going to read it and that's going to make you happy. And it doesn't need to have as much justification as it does for a traditional publisher. Um, so that's one thing that I love because I like to write weird little books that don't have a plot and publishers for some reason demand plot, which is very (laughs) unreasonable of them. (laughs) But, you know, there have been times like when I was, um, conceptualizing Get a Life, Chloe Brown, at first, Red was going to be like a rock star or like a former rock star who was now dejected and had a pile of kittens that made him happy. Um, and my agent was like, eh, rock stars. This was like a couple of years ago. I feel like rock stars are back now. But she was like, rock stars aren't really in anymore. And I was like, boo, okay. Because I really wanted it to be traditionally published. So I made him an artist instead, which is like so close to the same thing. 
<laughs> I, it was great when she's watching him through the windows and she's like, I'm not going to look again. I'm just going to look again for one second. I'm not going to look. I'm not going to look. I'm just going to look one more time. Just nope, not doing it. I'm just doing it. Just let me just peek. Let me just see if he's, he's not there. Okay. <laughs> like I was that like, that's like... so, so relatable. It was like the most relatable moment. Cause I've totally done that where I'm like, I'm not going to look. And you're like, <laughs> that is where the whole story started. Like I was like, what if there was this really like uptight woman who at this point red was a rock star she has a new neighbor across the way who's always naked and he has loads of cats and tattoos and she's like what the hell is he doing and she's like looking at him but then she keeps looking because he's really hot and that's where the story began so I like that bit (laughs) it reminds me of that guy who was doing your your house Bridget because I'll never forget him oh yeah I came over do the podcast and she had a guy working on some something and I was like, Bridget, that's the most beautiful man I ever seen. <laughs> She's like, I know, right? I said, like, so I'm like, I'm trying not to be creepy about it. I just, yeah. you know. Yeah. Do you he need remodeled, some water? He remodeled <laughs> our garage. And when he came to give me the quote, I was like, I mean, we, I have like very small children. I think I might have been pregnant at the time. And we were talking about he had just had small children. So like we were talking already about our like families and stuff. But I was like, that is a hot dude. But like. <laughs> You know, but kind of just like an, uh, that's a hot dude, but what I was, I'm married and, you know, I got kids, I'm pregnant, it's fine. And Shadi comes over and she was like, holy shit, who is that man, Bridge? Like, let's invite him in. I was like, I'm not married, I do not have children. <laughs> yeah, he was really great. He was also, he did very good work. I gave him a five-star review, not for his looks, but for his, well, maybe partially for his looks, but mostly because <laughs> he did excellent work. So yay for him. Um <laughs> I, I don't know. I don't, I, I, I guess the only other thing is like, do you, you know, we read a bunch of interviews you've already done, but is there something that you wish people would ask you during these interviews? Is there something you wish you could like gush about or talk about or bring up? I'm really bad at answering questions like this. I've been asked this before and I was like, I should have prepared an answer. No, <laughs> well, I, I your, answer, like... your answer can just be, nope, whatever you ask is fine. You're, you don't have to have an answer. I have the reverse question, right? Is there something in interviews you'd wish was asked less? Mm. Um, like, you're, no. like you're like, I'm tired. I'm tired of talking about this thing. I'm tired of, t- you know. I honestly, I love talking about like anything romance. So just being able to talk about books, they don't have to be my books, just any books. I love books. I'm, I what? keep trying to start a book club in my town, but no one wants to read with me. Hey, well, it's COVID. <laughs> do we'll you... do a digital one with you. Let's do a yeah, book yeah. club. We were just talking about that ahead of time, like doing a book club. But I, I mean, in general, you're like, I want to start a book club, but partly you don't want to see people like that. So like... <laughs> <laughs> exactly <laughs> like, like an infrequent book club <laughs> yes but that's my thing is like I think we talked about it at some point and we're just like oh what about a book club this and that. I was like ah <laughs> like <laughs> I in theory sounds amazing so good however <laughs> how about like a was a stick every six months book club <laughs> I'm just talking about, about, Shadi, I'm talking about four books a year. That's it. That's all I'm trying to get you to agree to is four books a year. It's not, we're already reading them for the podcast. Four. That's it. (laughs) My dream is like 
for there to be a book club and someone else organizes it and it's populated by a lot of other people and I read the book and then I come in and sit at the back of the room and I listen to the people talk and I nod when I agree and I frown when I disagree and then I leave yeah my dream book club that was <laughs> that was my dream university classes too like really interesting <laughs> classes where I didn't really have to participate I could just like be a little fly in the back of the room and just be like oh great point mm-hmm, interesting yep. and then just bounce just like that's just hop, <laughs> hop right out of there I don't need to be part of this <laughs> that's why I like watching if you go watch people's lives on YouTube and you just can comment in the box right you're at the comfort of your own home and whatever and they might be like what's that what do people think about this and I'm like I can I can do that I can come on that <laughs> and, you know like <laughs> and that's as much as I've committed to I'm not on camera I'm not you know doing that sort yeah. of thing like I've, I have like a uh I really like uh I think recently like we were supposed to be on camera for something um and like I like the fact that I'm not on camera for the podcast like I like mm-hmm. the fact that I am just can be as bummy as I want to be like today I did a sh- I did a shoot with my friends yesterday and every time I do any sort of shoot the next day I crash my body just will not do much right yeah. so like today I don't have the energy to be camera ready or put my face on or whatever you know so like uh I just like that we get to do this podcast it's just me and Bridget it's a very small thing somebody was asking me how many people I've seen you know, in the last month. And I was like, three, uh, my partners, <laughs> my partners, <laughs> Bridget, <laughs> like I've been home a while and I haven't even seen Bridget's second kid. <laughs> like, that's, yeah, that's true. Wait, did you see Molly? Oh yeah. I saw Molly. She stranger dangered me, but my like, kids are, my kids are one in three. So. Oh, adorable ages. Yeah. And when, when Shawnee, before she left in at the very beginning of March, right before COVID, she was at my house like three times a week at least. So like my baby like would see her coming and be like, nah, like, freak out. <laughs> me so excited. And now she's like, wait, you're not on the computer screen. I don't know what's don't happening. Know. <laughs> Usually you're in the computer when I talk to you. <laughs> yeah. She looked at me and was like, no, no. But she could walk now. She was like, nope, just walked away. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know who you are. <laughs> that is so cute. Oh my God. I love it. One of my sisters is five and we haven't been able to see her um, since March. And then we got like a very short window to see her. So we went to see her and I realized on site that she had forgotten my boyfriend completely. She was like, oh my God. And then she saw him and she was like, who is this man? (laughs) (laughs) She like politely ignored him the whole time. She's like, why did you bring this stranger here? (laughs) I like when kids do that because it's like their faces just don't ever really (laughs) ever really lie I mean like uh uh, my nephew uh my sister's husband's white and uh any white man it didn't matter what that guy looked like he was like daddy and (laughs) (laughs) and my sister would be like stop calling (laughs) makes me look terrible stop calling people daddy <laughs> and, he, and he wasn't that small either because he's like <laughs> like I we don't know like what but there's definitely so like the way his brain works is just different and so he just doesn't focus on faith on faces yes, at all. So you know? I do that too. Yeah, like I um I man, I tell people like I, I could get robbed and they could ask me, give me a description of who robbed you, and I would be like, I couldn't. This- 
this has happened to me that yeah. I wasn't robbed, but the police came to my house and they were like, okay, describe the incident. So, cause I have a pretty good memory for sounds. So I described a whole Thanks. conversation like perfectly. And they were like, great. Can you give us a description? And I was like, no. Yeah. And they were like, <laughs> hair color. And I was like, I genuinely gunned to my, couldn't tell you, yeah. could not tell you. <laughs> no idea. <laughs> That's me. Like I'm, uh, I'm, uh, what do you call it? When you see something and you remember it exactly. I'm like that for audio. So yes. whatever sounds were happening in that space, whatever was going on, I can describe it. And I can just, I can identify somebody by the way their lips move because I hyperfixate on mouths. But if you ask me anything else about the rest of their face, I would be like, <laughs> I don't know. But their voice had a slight timbre and a little bit of a wobble. <laughs> <laughs> so that, that, that did happen in real, real life. Um, I had a situation with this guy, like, uh, tried to kidnap me and oh my God, I what? couldn't remember his face to save my whole life. I think at some point I talked about this on the podcast, but like, like I got home and my partner was like, what do you look like? And I was like, I, I sat in a business class with this man for like two hours where I was, I, I already knew what was going to happen. Like I already knew shit was going to go down. I, my, my spidey senses were like, Boo, you know? And so I had watched him for many hours at this point. And then he like followed me to my car and it was like a thing. And when I got home and my boyfriend was like, what does he look like? And I was like, I couldn't tell you. I couldn't tell you what, what he looked like. And then the next day I woke up in a full bone panic attack and his face just slammed into like my frontal lobe. Like I could see him immediately. And that was, that was the first time I ever had a panic attack or anything like that. But it was the strangest thing that like it's his face just came as like this one block, just like, doof. And like, I'll, I'll always remember, he reminded me of Marcuccio from Romeo and Juliet. Um, Young Hodge Leonardo DiCaprio one. You know, you know what I'm talking yeah. about? Yeah. Yeah. He looked just like that guy. That's my like only frame of reference. And I think my memory has already has started putting Marcuccio as a replacement for him in my memory. If that makes sense. It's weird. Memories are weird. Brains yeah. are so weird, especially when something like terrible is happening. It goes yeah. bonkers. It goes bon- It does. It goes really bonkers. But it helps if ever I have like a trigger of that. I'm if he's Marcuccio, then I just make him sing the song like Run Home, Run Free, and do the whole dance, and then it like helps relieve the anxiety of, of it. That is so perfect. <laughs> Uh, this has been a very 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 lovely interview yes thank you so much for coming on the podcast we really appreciate your time and you you know giving us a friday night uh, not that there's anywhere to go in covid but we really appreciate it anyway no thank you so much for having me it's been like super super fun um i'm so glad i got the chance to meet you guys and chat about fun stuff so thank you Thanks for hanging in with us, romance readers. Head over to Instagram to continue chatting with us. We're super friendly. We want to cackle with you. We want to know what your favorite sex scene was. And we need more book recommendations. If you want to read along with us, go to our website, romanceataglance.com, to see what we're reading next. And we'll see you next podcast.